Welcome to Sex Care is Self-Care, a conversation on women's sexual health brought to you by the Patty Brisbane Foundation for Women's Sexual Health. I'm your host, Patty Brisbane. With us today is the Patty Brisbane Foundation Medical Advisory Board for a conversation about everything related to libido and desire. If everyone could introduce themselves and their specialty, that would be awesome. Let's start with you, Dr. Critchman. Hi, I'm Mike Critchman. I'm a board certified OBGYN and the executive director of the Southern California Center for Sexual Health and Survivorship Medicine. I'm also a healthcare professor at the University of California, Irvine, and I'm excited to be here today to talk to you about everything you always wanted to know but were afraid to ask about libido. Hi, I'm Dr. Shirelle Iglesia. I am the Director of Female Pelvic Medicine and Reconstructive Surgery for MedStar Health and a professor of OBGYN and Neurology at Georgetown University School of Medicine here in Washington, DC. It's really a pleasure to be here to talk about uh, desire. Thank you. Hello, I'm super excited about our second podcast. My name is Christine Vaccaro. I am a fellowship trained and double board certified obstetrician gynecologist and female pelvic medicine reconstructive surgeon. I'm also the fellowship director and associate professor um, at my institution just down the road from Dr. Iglesia and Bethesda Maryland. Happy to be here. Thank you. Hi, I'm Kathleen Novicki. I'm the doctor of physical therapy and a certified pelvic rehabilitation professional um, and a pioneer of pelvic floor physical therapy in the Cincinnati area um, through uh, my practice, the Center for Pelvic Floor and Core Rehabilitation. Thank you, everyone. Uh, Dr. Vicar, we're going to start with you here today. How would you describe low libido? And is it really that common? Patty, I'm so excited to talk about low libido today. So what is it? It's the absence of reduced frequency of sexual fantasies and thoughts. It's also called low sex drive. And it's very unique to each person. Um, I think a libido is the spark that ignites the fire. Unfortunately, low libido is very common. Approximately 40% of women will report low libido. Um, and this is based on large population uh, studies in the United States. Um, in fact, it's the most common sexual complaint for women. Um, what I really want to clarify, though, is this idea of um, personal distress. So um, to put it in, in different terms, a woman could have a feeling of low libido, uh, meaning her partner wants sex every day, maybe twice a day, and she only wants sex twice a week. And she might feel like she has a low libido problem. But if you ask the couple together, if they're satisfied with twice weekly intercourse and they're very satisfied and that's working well for them, then it's not personally distressing, which actually only occurs about 12% of patients have personal distress related to their libido. And this idea of personal distress is really important because that's usually when women want to seek care um, and management of low libido. And I also wanna clarify, <clears throat> excuse me, that nearly all women have um, a lower sex drive than men due to the influence of testosterone, which is much higher in men than women. So. Again, libido is, is very specific to the woman um, and also specific for the couple. Um, so getting to know the couple and seeing if there is a mismatch to seeing if they um, are fulfilled in their sexual health or if there's a problem is really important. Um, so as medical providers, we really wanna understand um, if low libido is causing personal or marital distress, which again, only occurs in about 12% of women, which still is 
millions and millions of women in our, uh, in our country. Um, and then of course we want to offer treatment. Awesome. And, uh, you know, Is there, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, no. Um, I'm sorry, I just wanted to jump in and talk about some of the disparities between men and women in terms of libido. And you know, um, men um, and have primarily been thought of as, you know, medical conditions when it comes to the concept of libido. Right. And we, you know, if a man comes in, we automatically check their hormones, we check blood pressure, we look for underlying chronic condition. I think it's important to remember historically, when you look at women who complained of low libido, they were labeled frigid, they were labeled uh, depressed, they were labeled anxious. Um, you know, I collect old sexuality books and it's not too long ago, if you look at the number one treatment for low libido, for women, it was a warm bath and buy a new nightgown. Um, and that is in a medical textbook. So I think it's important to understand the balance, really the balance between medical and psychological conditions that may impact libido. And we're playing catch up when it comes to women. We're only scratching the surface, understanding the biological concepts of hormones, neurotransmitters, anatomy, veins, arteries, nerves, and how all that plays into the concept of, you know, of developing appropriate libido. And remember, it's a balance. It's also, you know, you need to kind of fine tune the car, um, check the steering wheel, make sure the brakes work. And you also need to put gas in the tank. And then you have to have motivation to pick up the keys and go for a spin. So it's a, a balance between medical and psychological. And we're playing catch up when it comes to medical impact of libido for women. And again, on the flip side, we're playing catch up with the psychological issues for men. You know, men are not only um, a, a pool of testosterone, they get impacted by stress, they get impacted by fatigue. Uh, libido and low libido is a common issue for men as well, faced with a lot of chronic stress, impact of what's going on in their community, their work, and what have you. So, again, keep in mind the balance between libido. It's not just this esoteric kumbaya, let's kind of feel good and think about sex. It may have a biological component as well. Well, is, the, is there a myth surrounding what is normal when it comes to sex drive? Um, you know, I think that's, that's really important to remember. And I don't remember and I don't know what normal is. And I always say, you know, when, when someone comes in and they say, am I normal? I said, everybody defines their own normal. Right. And very often, I think building upon what Christine had said, you know, this concept of distress. And if a woman, very often women will come in and say, I'm okay with what's going on. I'm okay with my sexual thoughts, having them sporadically, but my partner has asked me to come. She's not, pro she doesn't have a problem. They may have a relationship issue. So very often this mismatch in libido is not necessarily a primary issue. So again, remember there's primary and secondary. Primary is when, um, you know, you've always had low libido. Secondary loss of libido is I've had normal libido and it's almost like a light switch has been turned off and now I don't have any uh, libido and sometimes there's an inciting factor. The other issue to remember as well, when you're talking about libido, it may be situational. 
or generalized, you know, generalized. I have low libido with my boyfriend and my husband, um, you know, or in all situations, um, you know, when I am on the beach in uh, Maui and I have no stress and my kids are all, you know, back at home and I'm just, everything is wonderful. I still have low libido versus situational where it's just one situation that you may have it. So again, understanding the nuances of libido is very important and every woman defines their own normal as well. May I make one comment, Patty, about, I love this analogy and maybe um, your associates can share it with other women because I found it really insightful. And you were talking about the light switch, Michael, but I want to talk about the light bulb because there are some people who have a libido that's the size of a big spotlight, you know, it's this big waving at all times. And then there might be some other women that are just the night light. You know, it's a small light. But what Christine was trying to say is it's distressful when it's a relative change. I mean, it's, it's a problem when it's causing distress. So the, the question about normal, Think light bulb versus spotlight. <laughs> right. and, and remember, some some light bulbs are LED and require little little yeah. energy to you know be very very bright. And I, up, no, I love, let's just keep going with this metaphor. It's beautiful. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, I, well, I have another metaphor actually that I'd like to share. So you know, unfortunately, men and women libido naturally declines over a person's lifetime in some situations due to testosterone, which can fuel the sex drive. Um, and sadly for women around 28, I think it starts to decline slightly. Um, but I like to envision a woman's libido sort of like analogous to the cockpit of an airplane. Um, lots of switches, bells, whistles, um, whatnot. And for some women, all these switches need to be in the right position um, for libido for them to work at that time. Um, they have to feel good about themselves. They have to feel good about their partner, their body image, and a lot, and then have the absence of negative influences like sleep problems, fatigue, significant stress, um, <clears throat> medical or psychological disorders. Um, and in my clinical experience, usually several of these components are contributing to decreased sexual desire. So just to go back to what uh, we've touched on in different podcasts, this, this idea of a multidisciplinary approach is is usually very helpful um, in these conditions. And Christine, I might be a good segue, you know, um, to talk about the different types of libido, right? Um, you know, there is this concept of spontaneous libido. And I believe that women certainly have spontaneous libido. And these are, you know, maybe random thoughts of increased, you know, sexiness or, you know, erotic dreams or what have you. And remember, changes in spontaneous libido may be very subtle. Um, you know, I have women who have been evaluated and they um, are actually more responsive. And that to them is enough of a change that it enhances their libido. The other thing that I think is really important is to give women permission not to have a male patterned uh, libido. So very often men are driven by testosterone as we talked about, they wake up, they have increased thoughts and what have you and they are maybe very sexual. It's very important for women to understand that they can start off as neutral. And for me, uh, the best way to explain that is kind of me and going to the gym. 
I don't wake up in the morning and say, yay, I'm excited. I'm going to go to the gym and work out. I couldn't care less if I ever went to the gym. I have so much to do. I have emails, I have work commitments and what have you. But you know, when I'm in Washington, Sherelle says, you know what, Mike, come, let's go to the gym. I know you don't wanna go, but we'll go and we'll catch up and we'll feel, you'll feel good and what have you. And I like, you know, begrudgingly, I'm kind of a little annoyed because I have a lot to do, but I decide to go nonetheless. And as I'm on the treadmill and as we're chatting and talking, I kind of say, wow, I'm feeling good, you know, I'm sweating, I'm feeling good, I'm staying connected with, you know, my colleague and we're catching up and it's been such a long time since we've done it. My God, I'm gonna commit to doing it three times a week. I should be one of those people that go to the gym all the time. And you know what? I wake up the next morning and I say, only lunatics go to the gym. I'm not interested in going to the gym. I have nothing to do with the gym. So this is really about reactive libido, right? So a woman starts off as neutral and sometimes she needs to kind of just be in the situation, get aroused, get that positive reward of feeling intimate, close, connected. It's not only about an orgasm, but connected on an emotional plane and that really will stimulate her libido. So remember, understand that um, arousal may come before desire. So, I mean, I think that's an important concept of, of, of giving women permission to be at neutral. They don't have to be that person lurking around the water cooler, looking for sex every minute of the day. She's very busy. She has lots of priorities. She's very often, you know, even though we like to think that, that men are very liberated, women are still the primary cookers, the cleaners, the checker of homework, uh, you know, add on being on Zoom and homeschooling, you know, there isn't much time left to be this voracious, you know, sex vixen in the bedroom. So understand that there's a lot of different priorities going on. And sometimes women, it's okay to be neutral. It's okay to um, not be thinking about sex all the time, but when it happens, it's really nice and rewarding. I, I love the way that you put that because I can't tell you how many hundreds of thousands, millions of women that I have heard say, you know, I didn't want to do it. But once I got there, I said to myself, why are, why am I not doing this more often? So I like the way you related it to the gym because same thing for everyone. I mean, getting up and going to the gym is not always the thing that you want to do early in the morning, but it does make you feel so much better after you do it. So I right. just say, just do it. <laughs> and you can, you can kill two birds with one stone and have sex in the morning. And it's, you know, sex is a great exercise as well. So well, I like that one. <laughs> I like that one. Um, what are the common environmental or psychological issues that can cause low libido? Okay, Patty. Again, we're going to talk, be talked about this in our last podcast on the biopsychosocial model of, uh, I, I, in fact, I think that the hypoactive sexual desire disorder has been changed, right, Michael? It's more like disorder of uh, arousal and interest. Correct. Um, they've, they've combined them together to really allow women this concept of reactivity and being neutral yes. and what have you. When before they were separate and distinct, now that very much they're intertwined. But I also think that there are women that have spontaneous libido. 
uh, as well. That's just my personal opinion. I think that not every woman has to be reactive or have a stimulus. Uh, there are some women that have sexual thoughts, desires, fantasies spontaneously as well. Okay, so go, yes, that's right. Just, you know, watch that guy on Bridgerton. <laughs> but listen, um, getting back to the biopsychosocial, I mean, some of the common causes of the decreased arousal interest desire, um, uh, you just mentioned it, hysterectomy and removal of ovaries. 50% um, of your testosterone is, is in the gonads, the ovaries, um, the adrenal gland is the other 25 and then aromatization through fat is the other. But the bottom line is taking out ovaries, particularly before the natural age of menopause, is a problem. And we don't have, while we have estrogen therapy for replacement, we don't really have very good bona fide uh, testosterone replacement. So that's a special category that I guess we can talk about later. Um, there's also other biological things like, you know, if you do have a disorder of the vulva or the vagina that impedes um, having pleasurable sex, it's associated with pain. Um, a negative connotation, that's not going to want you to want to do more. That would just be, you know, sort of counterintuitive to do something that inflicts more pain. And again, that's going to take an astute clinician to try and address that so that sex can be pleasurable and be seen positively. Another common, and just in terms of the psychological aspect, apart from being in a pandemic right now, um, clearly, anxiety, depression, sex, um, I mean, um, stress <laughs> can impede sex and um, can impede the desire to want to have it. And unfortunately, there's a double problem when some of the treatments that we use to treat said conditions, i.e. the antidepressants, can have this, like this selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, um, Prozac type drugs, um, they have a, a profound impact on um, the hormones of desire um, that, you know, if used judiciously, things can be changed, doses can be uh, switched. I think it's important to get your mental health checked. But again, that can have a profound impact in and of itself. And Michael, you probably are the only one here who's AASEC certified, um, but Kathy maybe as well, in order to address the psychological components, because we as gynecologists and female pelvic reconstructive surgery, I'll speak for Christina and myself, you know, we can focus a little bit more on the mechanical aspects, um, some of the prolapse, some of the leakage that can happen um, during sex that can be embarrassing, um, much of which can be fixed. But the psychological aspects, a lot of times you do need um, professional help in terms of someone who is a mental health specialist and also if you're in a relationship, um, trying to get some couples therapy or some kind of positive change that way. I have to tell you, changing the setting, you were talking about that, you were talking about those Victorian books that talked about wearing different negligees and taking a bath. Well, I mean, settings do help. I think hotel sex is, is great, but again, we're in a pandemic. Who's going to a hotel? Right. <laughs> but we're compounding a lot of issues right now, Michael. And, and I think just to build upon, I want to also mention that something that we as clinicians prescribe very often, sometimes birth control pills may be associated with changes in hormones. But 
Let's also be very careful and remember that libido, women are not ruled only by hormones when it comes to libido. There is a multitude of alternative pathways, neurotransmitters, there's dopamine, there's serotonin, there is norepinephrine, a whole variety of interplay between biology and psychology that are really important. There's a whole list. There's over 300 medications that cause vaginal dryness. And I know we're going to hear from our pelvic floor physical therapy uh, expert um, that pain and spasm can certainly hinder your libido. But your point is well taken when, it when we come to this dis discussion about uh, the couple. And you know the way that I look at it is very often libido can be used as a weapon sometimes, right? If there is a mismatch of power and control in the relationship and the woman feels disempowered, she's not decision-making, she is not doing other things. Sometimes the only thing that she feels like she can control is sex. When it happens, how often it happens, my libido. So again, looking at the dynamic, looking at the interplay, sometimes it's about sexual boredom. You know, uh, I know you and I love pizza, we love going out for dinner, but if we went to the same place three times a week for 30 years, it would get old really quickly, right? So sexual boredom may be a big contributor. And there's a lot of opportunity to kind of put that, you know, dwindling light into more of a spotlight. And again, you know, I would um, look at some of the the accessories that you do have on the pure romance side, they can, you know, go from the twinkle to the sparkle. And again, I think that's really important. And, you know, very often we, we say that, you know, what I hear is sex used to be thunder and lightning. Uh, and it used to be like a great storm. And now it's kind of the pitter patter of rain. And I'm like waiting for the drop to fall. <laughs> changing the script, certainly helps. But again, it's this concept of both medical and psychological interplay. And, you know, the more I'm in the, in the, in sexual medicine, the more I realize that it's really an interplay of both. It's not just one. And if you only address one aspect, um, it is uh, very often, um, you know, you're, you're not going to get the whole picture. The other thing I think is really important to remember, and we talk about this concept of couples and partnerships. There are a lot of single people who have low libido and they're single because they have the low libido. They say, why bother? Why bother dating? I'm not interested in having sex. So it's not a, uh, you know, libido is not a privilege for the coupled. It's a privilege for everybody whether you're in a partnership or not. And very often the same thing holds true if you have pain, right? You have sexual pain syndrome, so you're, you're single and you're sexual pain. You don't wanna venture down the potential of dating and getting connected because you're not feeling well. So treating and evaluating and assessing either pelvic pain or the lowered libido or what have you may bring forward life-changing events. I certainly see women who are single, who we get their libido treated, and now they're out there in the in the world 
trying to connect with others. Uh-huh. Mike and Cheryl, if I could just add on, Patty, I just like to springboard off a couple of points there, especially about um, our environmental stressors lately. So um, I'm sure everyone realizes most folks bring their device into the bedroom. Um, they have TVs in the bedroom. A lot of couples um, are looking at their devices up until the point they fall asleep. So I am always reminded about the concept that the bedroom should only be used for sleeping and sexual intimacy. But again, these common distractions, which negatively influence libido are often brought into the bedroom. Um, I like to tell some of my patients that are distracted just to leave them downstairs or wherever it's not in their bedroom so they don't, they're not um, tempted. And then other ideas about environment like having older children or an adult, um, another adult in the house um, with close bedroom nearby, just trying to make sure that they're, um, you have enough privacy to feel comfortable having sex with your partner. And then clearly not forgetting the role of the partner, which has already been mentioned, but um, you know, having a strong relationship with open communication, mutual respect. Um, I'm frequently reminded of a, of a cartoon I read about uh, menopause and sexuality. And two women were sitting having drinks and one woman says to the other, I was on hormone replacement for two years before I realized what I really needed was Steve replacement. So the point is here, there's no amount of hormones or other medication which can improve, which can improve sexual function that's gonna overcome a relationship issue. So if the relationship is not on solid ground, marital counseling is definitely required. And, and certainly a partnerectomy is a, yeah. is a viable treatment for yeah. uh, changes in sexual function. Like that. Um, okay, here's one that I, I'm sure our pure romance consultants address every single party that they do. And that's, what about pregnancy? How does libido during pregnancy and throughout postpartum, how does that play out? Yeah, well, um, definitely um, pregnancy and postpartum could be a podcast all in itself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, just like we have just been discussing about all the various normals that there are um, when you're not pregnant. Um, well, it becomes even more so um, various normals when you are pregnant. Um, we all know that um, everyone's pregnancy is different. Um, and even within the same person, each pregnancy can be different. Um, some women are experiencing nausea throughout the pregnancy. Other women have none. Um, so there's um, many factors that will be affected during pregnancy and the postpartum period. Um, to affect your libido. Um, we now discuss um, pregnancy and postpartum as actually four trimesters. Um, it's no longer just three trimesters. We're actually talking about four trimesters. Um, and that includes the three month period after delivery. Um, so during that time, the one thing that we need to discuss is hormones. You know, your hormones are going to fluctuate greatly. Um, you know, those hormones may, um, reduce your libido um, at certain times. And then in other times you may realize a, a dramatic increase in libido <laughs> um, and it's completely normal. Um, obviously there's um, 
significant physical changes that occur. Um, you know, as you go through pregnancy, your um, ever enlarging abdomen, your loosening ligaments to prepare for delivery um, may change your body image. And now that will, might affect your libido. You may actually become more interested in sex because you embrace that change, or you may um, feel uncomfortable and, um, and um, as a result, have a decreased libido. Um, changes of um, uh, fatigue and energy um, is common, um, particularly in the first trimester when there's significant fluctuations of hormones. Um, it's not unusual for women to be very fatigued. Um, as the hormones um, stabilize, you may notice that fatigue improving and uh, your interest in um, sex also improves. Um, postpartum um, fatigue is extremely common. Um, your body just went through significant um, physical changes um, and you now have a, an infant that you must care for that you are possibly getting up every couple hours to feed. <laughs> um, so uh, it, fatigue is a significant factor. Um, your um, relationship changes. Prior to um, having your first child, your relationship is between two people. Um, after delivery, you're now not only a partner, but you're a mother. Um, and so it's a way of working out that relationship between the three of you um, now, rather than just the two of you. Um, and again, as um, Christine said, it, um, you need to relate it back to your own personal and marital distress to determine if it is something that, um, that should be addressed. If this is, um, if you're you know, working along together and you're um, satisfied with the relationship, then you know, no problem. You know, don't let anyone outside tell you the way it should be. Um, but if, as you're going through these stages and you are experiencing distress, you know, that's the time to reach out and um, seek out help. So let me ask this. So if after, as she's going through postpartum, does she reach out to her gynecologist? Who does she reach out to? Yes. So obviously your gynecologist is um, someone that you can first um, approach with this um, or your primary care provider. Um, they can provide local support as well as refer you to local support. Um, you can, there are also online uh, resources. Um, and if you go to the pattybrisbanefoundation.org, uh, we will have um, various um, um, associations and resources um, that you could go to um, to um, seek out additional uh, information. Um, in addition, we will have our podcasts on there. We have printable brochures, pocket cards, um, various facts and resources for you. Um, there are, I did write down some organizations that we have found to be helpful. Um, and again, you can go to our, um, our website to look at these um, associations. One is ASECT, which is the American Association of Sex Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. Um, another is ISHWISH, uh, which is the International Society for the Study of Women's Sexual Health. And then for the physical therapy aspect of it, um, there's APTAPelvicHealth.org. Um, 
But if you go to pattybrisbanefoundation.org, you'll find um, um, these resources as well as um, additional ones and um, uh, podcasts, uh, brochures, and um, pocket cards too. Thank you. Um, what are the common medical causes of low libido and how does medication affect it? So there is a variety of medications for all the conditions that we're treating. And as we talked about um, uh, issues earlier, you know, even the depression, anxiety, and medications can certainly impact uh, libido. The important thing to remember is the concept of a temporal association. What that really means is, you know, I've been on uh, birth control pills for the past five weeks, and all of a sudden I'm noticing a change in libido is very different than I've been on birth control pills for 10 years, and in the last three months, I've noticed a change in my libido. So remember, the timing of something is very, very important. And for libido, it may be this concept of what I call the chopping the onion, the analogy. Um, you know, you could be in the kitchen chopping onions and sitting in the family room and not smelling them. But when you get to a certain threshold of chopped onions, everybody feels it and everybody can smell the onions. Um, so sometimes it's incremental. You have changes in your hormones that are small, but you have other things that can compensate. Then, you know, the colicky child arrives and that's another stressor, another layer of onion that's impacting. And then finally, like the, the breaking point is when your partner's now traveling with their 18 year old uh, new hot secretary, and that's just kind of pushing you over the limit. So again, it's a balance between medical, psychological, and sometimes it's cumulative and we have reserves um, that can impact. But again, thinking about environment, stress, fatigue, um, you know, I think are really important. And, you know, the, also the other, the concept is, you know, I was on my walk and I saw my neighbor and I said, you know, I always used to see you walking with your husband and now I don't. And you know what she said? She said, too much of a good thing is not a good thing. So it's really important to have alone time. And this pandemic is teaching us that, that sometimes too much of a, a good thing in close quarters can be problematic and influence how you are relating to one another. So again, it's a diversity of etiologies and a diversity of treatments, but I don't wanna make it, I, I hate to use this word and I'm only gonna say it once, complicated. It's not complicated, it's not complex, it's not insurmountable. Lowered libido, certainly simple solutions can make huge differences. And one other asset that we didn't mention is the pure romance consultants. They have a diversity of training, a diversity of things in their war chest that can help really uh, make a huge difference. So simple things, simple interventions, even communication skills can have diverse, really strong effects in the overall uh, feelings of libido. So remember that there's professional organizations, but you know, I think it's really important. The grassroots, your consultants certainly are a you know, a vital component to help you regain your libido with a variety of educational tools, as well as accessories that can be beneficial. 
It empowers you, makes you feel more confident. Now that we understand all the factors. Oh, sorry, Cheryl. I just because I wanted to add one other population that is uh, a, a definite vulnerable population, and those are the breast cancer survivors. Mm-hmm. Particularly, and Michael wrote a book on this, but he's too humble to even talk about it. But let me tell you, that population is really afraid of hormones. And a lot of the chemotherapy and anti-hormonal medications we give, one particularly bad class, and it's helpful because you you live, you're not going to get your breast cancer, is the aromatase inhibitors, which cause severe vaginal dryness. So there are many lotions and potions um, that are available, water-based, silicone-based. But you know, there's also this whole concept, if you don't use it, you'll lose it type of a thing. Um, where, um, you know, maybe a battery-operated boyfriend, <laughs> uh, some type of clitoral stimulator, Honestly, even the Fitbits for the vagina that are currently available to help you do the Kegel exercises bring blood flow to the area so that this the problem with arousal is not as you know devastating, particularly when you get profoundly low estrogen levels in something like cancer survivorship. Michael, you wrote a book on yeah, this. And I, I mean, I think the, the thing that I wanna mention, and you know, I'm the man of analogies, is with cancer patients, it's called the justice syndrome, justice syndrome. And I know some of us have undergone renovations and we say, you know, we're just gonna change the appliances in the kitchen. And then kind of the countertop doesn't look right. So we're just going to change the countertop. And then, you know, in my house, I just changed a a window to a door, but the door went nowhere. So I had to just build a patio. So when we have cancer patients, we say things like, oh, we'll just take off the other breast. Oh, we'll just put you on tamoxifen for 20 years. Oh, we'll just take out your ovaries and you'll just be in menopause. And this cascade of just us syndromes expands like a home renovation. When you wanna do a tiny little thing, you end up remodeling your whole entire house. So I think it's important to remember that there's far reaching implications for what we do to to keep disease at bay, keep disease controlled, certainly very, very important. But again, as you had mentioned, simple solutions that are not problematic and not problematic with the oncologist as well, because we all all wanna be on the same page, right? Um, I think are really important to help women reclaim their sexual vitality. And and if you look at the literature, Sherelle, I know everybody on 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 the podcast knows that the number one thing that women miss the most is their connectedness and intimacy after they've had a malignancy. So very, very important. And also to give people hope that it's, you know, this concept of, oh, you have no ovaries, your sex life is over, is devastating and it's not accurate. Um, So again, this concept, certainly hormones are important, but they're not the be all and end all for um, good libido, good um, uh, improvement in sexual function as well. There's so much that we can talk on in, in that subject alone. And so I hope to do a whole podcast on that because I think it's there's just so much information that we could be giving. Uh, now that we understand all the factors, environmental, psychological, hormonal, and medical, 
Is there something that we can do, Dr. Vaccaro, to improve on this? That's a huge topic here, Patty, but um, I'd just like to summarize a little bit what, what Cheryl and Mike said. So multiple factors contributing to low libido here. We have general health, you know, pain disorders, depression, chronic fatigue, overall fitness, menopause, cancer, and then certainly the surgical history, particularly again, the ovaries being removed, which we've discussed, which again removes um, a primary source of testosterone, menopausal status, and then medication side effects, again, classically the SSRIs and birth control pills. Um, and then um, maybe something we didn't talk quite a little bit about, which is financial stress, family problems, mm. you know, certainly during the pandemic, loss of jobs, death of a loved one, all these things kind of just add up um, incrementally. Um, and then also history of sexual trauma. So all these um, are primary components, um, specifically for environmental you know, I, I sometimes think about the couple's work schedule and childcare or an adult um, caregiver that's in the home. And sometimes these obligations get in the way of spontaneity. Um, so I tell patients to schedule in sex if necessary. If there's certain days or times at work, just schedule it in. That way both um, partners are committed to that time and it's not um, a time that's inconvenient. And then, as I mentioned before, you know, the bedroom really should be only for sleeping and sexual intimacy and trying to leave the devices outside the bedroom is a really good start. Um, again, if there's other adults in the house, trying to have them not right next door to you in, in the house if possible. Um, regarding psychological, you know, I really um, find it's important to work on the mind-body connection. And I talk to the patients about this a lot. So not only leading a healthy lifestyle, eating well, exercising, and abstaining from recreational drugs and alcohol that lower libido, but really this concept of mindfulness, which I'd love to do a podcast on actually, just being present in the moment, enjoying the sensation, tuning out the rest of the world, working um, with your healthcare team to ensure other prescription medications don't have a negative impact on your sex drive. So all these um, work in conjunction for um, psychological health. If you have partner-related issues, seeking marital counseling when appropriate to help open lines of communication um, and improve understanding, or um, I'm blanking on the term that Mike used, but basically a, a partnerectomy, I think was the term, um, doing what you need to do in that aspect. Um, and then like we've touched on before, sexual boredom um, with long-term relationships can also be a problem. So talking to your partner or giving yourself permission to um, try sexually enhancing lubricants or sex toys to en enhance or bring adventure to the bedroom. Um, so we, we as healthcare providers give you permission to do that and we encourage you to do that and explore um, your own sexuality. As far as hormonal contributors um, for women of childbearing years, trying to, to use birth control options that don't lower natural testosterone. These um, include barrier methods like condoms, hormonal patches or vaginal rings that don't um, rise uh, raise systemic levels in the body as much as uh, as the pill does, and then uh, intrauterine devices, which are excellent for long-term uh, contraception and have very little impact on testosterone. And lastly, permanent sterilization, such as a tubal or vasectomy. Um, just to note, the the quote-unquote pill is still very popular, but does reduce libido due to its hormonal interactions, which uh, basically reduces the available testosterone in a woman's body. So trying to seek out um, birth control options that are going to enhance sexuality, not detract from it. Um, and just again, a touch on the, um, the ovary situation, if they have been removed, likely there is a, a deficiency in natural testosterone, which again is made mostly in the ovaries and also the adrenal glands. 
And there's uh, several other less common reasons to have low testosterone, such as chemotherapy, radiation, though I think Mike sees quite a few of these patients in his practice, um, adrenal insufficiency, and then other drug-related um, reasons. So labs can be drawn to confirm low testosterone, and um, I think we'll touch on testosterone replacement later in this podcast. Lastly, the medical concerns. Um, you know, treating urinary leakage and vaginal relaxation and pelvic pain, which are what uh, Sherelle and I treat primarily. Um, we know that with, there's so much research in this area showing that treating those conditions um, increases sexuality and, and sexual health. You know, not having a patient worry that they're gonna leak on their partner or if their vaginal tissue is gonna bulge out during sex. All these um, have a great impact on body image and uh, feeling sexy. So we know treating these conditions helps greatly. And then treating pelvic pain. Um, I use the analogy with couples about um, a, a hot stove. So if I put uh, a man's hand on a hot stove, is he gonna wanna touch the, the hot stove again? And it, the answer is no. So it's just like um, an analogy to help them understand that if a woman is having pain during sex, she's not gonna want to engage in sections. She's gonna shy away from it. So trying to um, use some, some simple analogies, which I need to get with Mike more. He has such great ones. Um, and then other medical conditions like sexually transmitted diseases, um, vaginal dryness, sleep and mood disorders, which contribute significantly uh, to sexual health. So commonly I'll work with a primary care provider um, and or behavioral health specialist to switch antidepressants to medications that have le less sexual side effects. Um, again, as mentioned commonly, SSRIs cause uh, sexual dysfunction, but another class of medications, SNRIs have less of an effect and commonly these can, these, um, can be switched um, out with similar benefits for the um, mental health disorder. Um, as I mentioned, other health conditions, urinary leakage, vag vaginal relaxation, some of these um, require medication or surgery uh, to fully address. And then some disorders such as pelvic pain may need several health care team members to improve all conditions contributing to sexual function. And very lastly, um, if the patient has lab confirmed uh, low testosterone and her sexual dysfunction is primarily due to hormone imbalance, then testosterone replacement can be considered, but this does need careful monitoring and close follow-up. Awesome. I could just, uh, Pat, if I could just add, um, you know, Christine um, allowed me to think further about the postpartum period um, and what changes occur during delivery. Um, whether it's vaginal delivery or a C-section, um, there's um, essentially, it's either a surgical injury or it's a um, physical injury. Um, there's significant stretching, there may be tearing, um, there may be a surgical um, incision. Um, and um, that will not necessarily go back to pre-pregnancy without um, some form of rehabilitation. Um, it's not unusual in European countries where they have national medicine, where they automatically go through a postpartum physical therapy rehabilitation program for four to six weeks. Um, here in America, we haven't quite got there yet. <laughs> um, and you know, um, thinking that you can just go back to your um, previous exercise routine, like running or aerobics or um, um, other forms of um, um, sports um, doesn't necessarily mean that your pelvic floor and your core um, will be rehabilitated to be able to perform those activities. And it's the same thing with um, sexual function too. Um, you know, um, to have um, a healthy 
arousal and orgasm and to um, have a healthy body image um, for libido and desire, um, rehabilitating the pelvic floor um, is essential. Um, and that's where um, the pelvic floor physical therapist is, is um, necessary. Um, you can't, um, because they are somewhat hidden, the body is really good at compensating um, of doing activity without um, using something that is weak or um, injured. Um, so a physical therapist can make sure that you're um, utilizing it properly um, during your re re um, return to exercise. Um, the other thing is, is that this injury um, may cause pain um, and, um, and spasm, um, which of course is Christine said, you know, if there is pain that's associated with intercourse, then um, you don't want to have intercourse. Um, so, hot stove. Yeah, right. hot stove. And, and let's not also forget the uh, breastfeeding person who has severe vaginal dryness. And along with breastfeeding, you have hormonal and neurotransmitter changes that are normal and natural and cause low libido because you're focus should be on rearing that child, not on having another one as well. So some of those are adaptive responses. The, the only thing I wanted to mention about medications is it's not an absolute. What that means is um, we know that, that some women who are on birth control pills develop pain and have lowered libido. But we also know that some women who are on birth control pills may not experience any sexual effects as well. You know, imagine, you know, I have several patients that come to mind. I have a 34 year old woman who has seven children and birth control pills are her only thing. She does not want to get pregnant uh, again. And for her, being on contraception is very empowering. So the, the concept of precision medicine is really important. Um, I don't wanna give the impression that we should be muddling around with someone's antidepressant medication or anxiety medications. These are really serious medical conditions um, that need to be treated. And sometimes these are life-saving. And when they're, when they're those, chronic conditions are set at bay, we may see a resurgence. So it's not an absolute, like if you're on this medicine, you're going to definitely have some changes. Really have to look at the big picture uh, as well. And I know we're going to talk about testosterone after uh, some of the other interventions, but I think that's, uh, you know, a very, very important concept as well. I know that there's two approved uh, prescription medications on the market specifically for women. Dr. Inglesia, can you explain, can you explain these medications and, and how, how do they work? Yeah, I can, they can make this short and sweet because there are only two. One's a pill, <laughs> one's an injection. Um, the pill is called Flibanserin. The trade name is Addy. It's a little pink pill, but you take daily, um, and yet you can see the effect, you know, after eight weeks. Um, the sec that one works by adjusting basically the neurotrans nerve transmitters, serotonin, dopamine, and norepinephrine, and then balancing those to have at least um, 1.5 increased risk of having a pleasurable sexual event um, 
with the treatment. So it's like a modest improvement. The second one is bremelanotide, which acts at a different pathway, basically through the melanocyte, melanocortin, also being pro-libido, and that's given by an injection. Now, there are two caveats with taking these meds. One is that you have to be younger, premenopausal, only approved for those who are basically under 51 or um, menopausal. And secondly, there's some side effects um, for the phlebanserin. Uh, one of the side effects is it's not, there's a, a, a problem with liver metabolism. So certain medications you can't take that affect the liver and the use of alcohol is relatively contraindicated because it can be associated with fainting um, with, when taking the medication. Um, for the um, injection, the bremelanotide, um, Vilesi is the training on that one, um, the side effects are mostly GI, nausea, upset stomach. So again, these are a start. I'd like to have some options for the postmenopausal woman, but it is a start. Did I get it all, Michael? I mean, you know, you, yep. you, no, you did great. It was, it's great. And I mean, everything comes with a cost. And I kind, I think those are what I characterize and I say, you know, libido can be treated from conservative ways, uh, you know, um, all the way to aggressive interventions. And the more aggressive in terms of medications, the more side effects, interactions, and, you know, and, and again, you have to make that balance of, of what those medications deliver. We don't want to overpromise and underdeliver uh, as well. So they're not, um, they should not be considered the Viagra for, for women. Remember, subtle effects. And, you know, um, I guess this is a good segue, Patty, for me to talk a little bit about testosterone. And I wanted to just kind of mention. Um, the concept that, you know, if you take a hundred women with low testosterone and you ask them about their libido, one third will have high libido, one third will have normal libido, and one third will have low libido. So the important concept to remember is testosterone levels are not predictive. They're really used for, for therapy. And remember, if I give a hundred women, um, sugar water and say, this is the elixir that's gonna improve libido, about 60% of them come back and say libido is great and improved. So there is a very high placebo effect with testosterone. And with all of these interventions, including phlebanserin, including Vilesi as well. However, testosterone certainly is um, it's not FDA approved, it's off label, and it is not for the faint of heart. What that means is you can't just set it and forget it. It You have to be monitored. You There are complications or side effects if you get supraphysiological or above level, above normal levels, you have hair loss, hair gain, you can get clitoromegaly, you can get voice changes, and some of these are permanent and irreversible permanent and irreversible. They don't go away when you stop the medication. So again, um, if you're going to venture down the concept of hormonal treatment, I think it's important to get a 
um, experienced healthcare provider involved. And that's important to do your research. Be your best advocate. I can tell you um, on every corner, there is a bioidentical hormone specialist, free salivary gland testing, uh, get your pellets now. Um, there are a lot of charlatans out there. Uh, do your research, make sure you research your clinician, um, make sure that you are getting the right tests and the right surveillance. And I can tell you from experience, my women who are on testosterone are the best in being compliant because I require it. I want them to get their mammogram. I want them to get their lab test. And if they respond, they are very happy to do that because they want their testosterone because it is working for them. So remember there are side effects and there's, there is limited long-term safety data, but uh, it certainly is a viable option. But again, not approved, not on label, but again, we need to um, temper that with a uh, understanding that there's a high placebo effect. So there's no, unfortunately, no magic bullet yet. Um, and I personally believe that it's an interplay as we talked about throughout this whole um, uh, podcast, it's an interplay between biology and psychology and the etiologies of low libido are multiple. And so should the treatment. So maybe you need to get that new vibrator and get that arousal gel. And maybe you need to, you know, leave your uh, Candy Crush game in the living room. And uh, maybe you need to kind of get out of your frumpy, you know, sweats and, uh, you know, get yourself together, brush your hair. So it's a, it's a combination. <laughs> Develops over time and it will get better over time. But it's, it's kind of a layered effect, not one solution, multiple solutions, and you'll get there. Thank you. Uh, I had to laugh a little bit because there's so many people that just sitting in the same sweatshirt that they've been in or their PJs for a solid week. And it is, I mean, take a shower, start feeling really good about yourself, put on some makeup, right. uh, flirt. Um, there may be even people on this podcast that are wearing sweatpants, but we're not going to go okay. down there, right? But I think your, your points are well taken, Patty. We kind of have to, um, we have to set the stage. Yes. And sometimes, you know, sometimes simple solutions, maybe just an aromatherapy candle or maybe a secret love note or, you know, certain things, little effort can make big changes. There you go. There you go. Um, I want to thank my guests, Dr. Michael Critchman, Dr. Sharon Glacia, Dr. Christine Vercaro, and Dr. Kathleen Novicki for a great conversation here today. For more information on the Patty Brisbane Foundation for Women's Sexual Health, our medical advisory board, and to download our hashtag Let's Discover Libido and Desire Patient Pocket Card, visit thepattybrisbanefoundation.org. Remember, sex care is self-care and sexual health matters. Mm -hmm.